Hello and welcome to the Healthcare Leadership Excellence Podcast. I'm your host, Carl Easter. I'm an executive coach and a strong advocate of superior leadership. On this podcast, we explore the essence of leadership through interviews and dialogue and provide you with tangible steps you can take to improve your leadership performance. As a best-selling author, John Maxwell says, leadership is about one life influencing another. The stories, experiences, and wisdom you hear throughout each episode will inspire you to step up, lead, and influence those around you. I'd like to welcome you today to this episode of the Healthcare Leadership Excellence Podcast. I always am excited about our guests, but I've never come into an interview with over three pages of notes that I took as I read her superb book, Flight Lessons. Our Today's guest came to me as a recommendation from a more, one of our former guests, Dr. Bonnie Wilson, who said, Carl, you've got to interview this person. Well, our pre-interview lasted a full hour as I was asking her question after question. And then I read the book, which is a highly recommended read. It's fantastic, especially if you have young people in your family that are looking for goals and a way to think about the future. It's a superb book. She graduated from the fourth graduating class that included women from the Naval Academy, served as a Naval aviator for years, and now is a professor at the Naval Academy. So I would, it's just a delight to welcome Dr. Barbara Bell to our episode this morning. Dr. Welcome. Thank you, Carl. I'm just delighted to be here. I agree. We had such a great conversation. Our initial conversation was just uh, what a wonderful back and forth. So just where to start on so many things. What do you teach currently at the Naval Academy? Uh, Currently, I'm teaching ethics and leadership, and I'm also teaching a team and organizational leadership course as well. So we're going to get into a lot of questions about your background and your leadership experiences in the armed forces. However, when you talked to me beforehand about ethics and leadership, that what a great place to start for a person who has just been in the crucible of a lot of situations that could test ethics. Why are ethics so important for a good leader? Oh, ethics are are just critical for any leader because we become responsible for not only ourselves, but for all of those whom we lead. And we have to have this trust with our team members. I like to refer to my followers as team members. And the fa- it's just foundational that we build trust and ethical leadership. We have to buy into that. It has to be not just buy in, it has to be internal and part of who we are to be excellent leaders. How do you internalize something like that? What is the process, especially because a lot of our listeners are probably new to mid-level? We've got some senior leaders, but our majority audience is probably going to be looking for the, how do I do that? So if you're teaching a class and it's ethics and you're telling me, Carl, you need to make this internalized. It's got to be in you processes that you'd suggest there? It is the small things that we practice day to day, that sense of habituation so that those those right choices become part of who we are. 
you know, we are all thinking, particularly in the military, like where is that big major incident where we are faced with a moral dilemma? But we're faced with some of those dilemmas on a day-to-day basis. And when we choose the right way, it becomes easier to choose the right way next time and next time and next time. So when you are faced with a crisis, you have that internal to yourself. We were talking the other day about some things as simple as uh, polishing your shoes or uh, in the Naval Academy, marching in a parade. And we do that day after day to habituate this idea of discipline. And then that extends to ethics. So what are those little things that you can do on a daily basis? I I often put you know words on my screen or I attach something to my my mirror in my bathroom that this is the way I'm going to live. And it's those small choices that we make and doing that day after day so that when the crisis hits, we are ready. And I could also see that going to the contrary, that if one starts to let little indiscretions come into the leadership behavior, it gets on a precipitous slippery slope. Absolutely. You know, one of the one of the readings that we use is from C.S. Lewis and C.S. Lewis talks about the the inner ring and it's just human nature to want to be part of that inner ring, whatever that ring is, whether you're in high school and that's the cool kids or you're on the football team or you're at work and it's those who seem to always uh, get together and go out to lunch. There's that desire to be part of that group. But with that comes a caution, is that your desire to be part of that group can start to uh, impact the choices that you make. And if we can recognize that it's human desire to be part of whatever that in-group is, and we recognize that in ourselves, and we we can choose differently, we can still be a part of that group, but understand that our personal uh, our personal North Star, our personal moral uh, and ethical principles have to be ours. So I'm going to put that on a shelf for a second and go down a different track for a few questions here. I, I hope our listeners understand the level of pioneer we're talking to today. I just want you to keep in your mind how it must have felt for Dr. Bell to show up in the as the fourth class that included women. And you mentioned something uh, in your book that while the law had made it possible for you to be at the academy, the culture was quite a different thing. And the challenges, i just like you to address, perhaps using that or the many other firsts that you had to confront in your naval career, how did you navigate such challenges? What was the internal drive? What was the external support that you used? You know, the inner drive was recognizing that we were doing this for a higher purpose. That we were not there. We were not at the Naval Academy just for ourselves. We were there to access the elite education that the Naval Academy provided that would give us the pathway to become career naval officers. That's why we were there. And while the law uh, the law said we could be there, much of our experience told us differently. But that's what happens with pioneers. And so knowing and always 
attaching ourselves to that higher purpose. You know, certainly we made mistakes, no doubt about it. I say we fell down, we had to pick ourselves up again. We fell down again and we picked ourselves up. And day after day, and then year after year, our presence validated the law. So you're going into a new, uh, a new area, a new arena. It's going to be difficult. But that practice that I've had of falling down and picking myself up, that grit and resistance, and persistence, not resistance, grit and persistence, it's built one day at a time, one day at a time. And serve me well for the remainder of my naval career and throughout my professional life. Our listeners are probably quite tired of me continually going to athletic examples and how athletics, my mind just set such a stage. I was delighted as we talked the first time and also in the book, as you talk about how athletics in your high school career certainly gave you the idea of I can do this. And you talk about your running and leaning into the hill and using that symbolically as leaning into the hill on challenges. So we have many of our listeners are former and current athletes. And they're also, um, many of them have talents in the world of music, which I think is a similar discipline of taking a hill or doing countless exercises on the piano. Talk to us about leaning into the hill. Leaning into the hill, it always takes me back to my track and cross country experience. I had two fantastic coaches and one he motivated by saying, I love it. I just love it. And lean into those hills. We did regular workouts uh, leaning into those hills. And so it's leaning into the challenge instead of resisting the challenge. So we leaned into it and we ran up those hills And the thing that I was taught as well is to keep running. We'd get to the top of the hill and our coach would advise us that that's when others just start to back off, but you continue to run. And that's how we outpaced our competition. And I draw, you know, I draw on that, that experience and the metaphor of leaning into the hills. Okay, here's the next challenge that's in front of me. I'm going to lean into it. I'm going to engage. I'm going to run through it is what I'm going to do. Certainly there will be difficulties along the way. Absolutely. But I like to be on my toes and that part of leaning into instead of getting on your heels and thinking, oh, this is so difficult. How am I ever going to do do whatever that task is? Excellent. Another thing I'd like to run by you is... A lot of leaders, young younger leaders especially, they are just sword out, ready to go, and they're attacking left and right. And yet a point you make very clearly that has been a part of your success is learning which battles to fight. Any coaching here on, you know, Carl, you might want to put away the sword on this one? Right. You know, as a new leader, it's critical that you write down what your challenges are to, to gain clarity. You're the new leader and you're you're in this new this new opportunity, whatever that might be, and you see all these challenges all around. Write it down. Then identify what are the maybe two to three challenges that you want to take on first. If you're tr- if you have this shotgun approach and you're trying to attack, 
you know, 10 or 20 different challenges, you're not going to make progress. But starting with perhaps three, bringing that very central to to your, your focus, and then you expand from that place. So when I teach, I, I generally have three objectives for class. Or as a leader, I have a list of maybe, uh, you know, three to five challenges that I want to work on initially. Working on that to begin with and then radiating out. You know, I even think of my book. So I met with a consultant and he said, you've got to get really clear on who your target audience is because I wanted to reach everyone. And so the more he pushed pushed on me, the clearer it became for me. He said, you know, you light up when you talk about young women. So my book became about young women or my target audience for my book is young women. And it has radiated out from there. It has resonated with my classmates from the Naval Academy. It has resonated with business leaders. It has resonated with educators. But I first worked in that small area and allowed it to radiate out from there. So bouncing off of that question, uh, this isn't in the questions I submitted. It just came to mind. So hopefully you don't mind me going off the rails a bit here. A ton of my work is with this situation. A nurse is superb. She's out of her Bachelor of Nursing program. She's maybe got three or four years bedside. And she is an ace. She just has that extra quality about her. Nursing, and you can ask any CNO on this one, Chief Nursing Officer, our training for nurses and leadership is almost zero. So someone's been really good. They're great bedside. And they work really closely with this group. They go out for you know drinks after shift. They go running together. And then suddenly Jane, our superstar younger nurse, is promoted to charge nurse. And suddenly she's the leader of peers and the peers go sideways. They become nasty. They disown her. They they do not like to be bossed by somebody that last week they were having drinks with. And now she's really not able to have drinks with them because that shows favoritism over, et cetera. You can see how this is shaping up. If you were sitting down with this young woman, probably 26, 27 years of age, what would you tell her about the situation she's in and how to best work with that? So what I would tell Jane is to I'd sit down with her and have her describe who are you and who who are you now? There's that mental shift that has to happen coming from being the expert expert into the in the field to stepping into a leadership position. Who are you now? Who are you now as a leader? I go through this process in, in workshops. Uh, I did one last week, as a matter of fact. So asking Jane, like, who are you now? You're a leader now. You are a supervisor now. And there are times that, yes, you cannot, you cannot go hang out with everyone like you used to. Maybe you can stop in, say hello for a while so that you still feel connected to the group but you don't get to laugh and scratch anymore because that's part of the mantle of leadership. And then I would say, Jane, you know, what, what is it that you value? What do you value as a leader? And I would have her write those things down. Then I would say, what behaviors would demonstrate the values that you have as a leader? 
because it's critically important that we understand, well, what does that look like? And then I would ask Jane, to, as she spends time that I see it as a cycle, then what is your vision for leadership? Now that you are that charge nurse, what does that look like? Helping that leader to get really clear to start with themselves. And what I also recommend is that uh, that you write these things down. When I'm in a workshop, I ask my attendees to write this down. Write down what you what you value and what those behaviors would look like. And then I challenge I challenge my audience to say, are you willing to publish that and share that with your team? Interesting. Now, my next question segues off what you just said. Incivility right now in our society is quite strong. And so when the Janes of the world come to work and you you recount several, many situations of lack of civility situations of where you knew you had to act professional, yet some of the people around you were not acting in, in a civil way. How would you coach Jane to maintain professionalism while the environment is can be quite nasty, to say the least? Well, again, it's, you know, what do you stand for, Jane? What do you stand for? You know, I think of a time uh, in my squadron where I walked in, uh, I, I walked into the ready room, that's where the officers meet. And there was uh, some of the men said, hey, thanks for the card. There was a card on the board and it had my name assigned to it. And it was highly inappropriate. They were laughing and scratching and thought that this was really funny. We had our we had our morning meeting and the, you know, the commanding officer and executive officer, they went through the normal, uh, normal meeting uh, agenda. And at the very end, they said, is there anything from, you know, anything, you know, any, any last ads? And I stood up and I said, whoever wrote that card, I expect an apology. This is unacceptable to me. I will not tolerate this behavior in my squadron. The commanding officer looked at me and he said, I need to talk with you. And I said, yes, you do. And so I went and I talked with him and I received apology after apology after apology. So they understood what I stood for. And there are moments to say, this is what I stand for. How do you develop that level? Just hearing you say that, I can, I'm sitting behind you in that room and my stomach's going tense thinking, that is one courageous standing up instead of, well, I'll just kind of work with it. What breeds and what develops that kind of, nope, this is a line. It's it. No one's going to cross this line. How do you develop that? I would recommend that you develop that with a coach that you work to get really clear about who you are and how you want to operate. And then I also think of, you know, developing your team because as leaders, we cannot do the task alone. We have to cultivate our team. But in that shift from being one of the peers to leading your peers, you have to make that mental shift yourself. And then when, when I challenge people to say, are you willing to write this down? Are you willing to share this? That's what I did when I was, when I was in leadership. I delivered it in draft form initially so I could get buy-in from my leadership team. Like, is there anything you need me to clarify? And they gave me some input and I incorporated it to show that I was going to listen. 
Absolutely, you know, absolutely. It takes courage to be a leader. And I would say that um, we are all leaders. We lead our lives. We lead our families. We lead at work. And it's, you know, it's a process, but getting clear on who we are as leaders and it changes over time, not that our values change, but that as we become more senior, you know, that first out of the gate, Jane's that expert. She's that expert nurse. Now she needs to learn how to become that expert team leader. And funny, when you are willing to publish what you're about, then I call it the third thing. So when I started having some challenges, I'd say, okay, one of my values is respect. So let's talk about this third thing. It was on my value statement. So then we could have a conversation about respect and it takes out some of the emotion between the two people. Instead of you you disrespected me, it's like, let's have a conversation about respect. This is what I value. I value this as a leader and I believe you value this as well. Then you can have a conversation about respect You can have a conversation about teamwork. We value being a team. So let's talk about how we didn't do well as a a team. Or let's talk about how you could do better as a team member. Boy, that that just unplugs the defensiveness. It does. What? That is superb. Excellent. One last question before we end this episode. You, you refer to Malcolm Gladwell's comment from the book Outliers, the 10,000-hour rule. We have a lot of people, as they come into the work site, they want to get to the peak without hiking the peak. And, you know, I've just never seen someone become superb by taking shortcuts. So any coaching for high potential high achievers who might want to shortcut those 10,000 hours? Uh, don't, don't shortcut. We, we need to become, we need to become experts in whatever our specific um, area is. And then we transition that expertise into leadership. And there's that shift too, that some of the things that you did as that expert, you have to allow others to do that. That you have to become more of a generalist and live with a little bit more ambiguity than we were initially comfortable with as we were seeking to become that expert. So I'm going to sneak one more question in on my poor editor. (laughs) One of the biggest challenges that I have as I coach leaders is that many times I get to work with them as they move from mid-level to senior. And the mid-level have become superb one of the reasons they've qualified for promotion is because they're incredible doers. Give them a list and they nail it by noon. They're amazing. And But in their new position, they're not doers anymore. They're influencers of others who now have moved into doing. And it just causes them to go sideways because they have years of checking and validating themselves by action. And now they're influencers. Any advice on making that incredibly important transition? And it's a part of, I I relate that back to situational leadership. 
the model of situational leadership where you've come from this place of being unconscious, uh, unconsciously competent. You know it so well, you don't even have to think about it. As you move into that next position, you come to this point like, I have no idea what I'm doing and I know I'm not competent. And recognizing that that's just a place that you're in temporarily, temporarily, that continuing to develop yourself and to develop your skills and to get used to, it doesn't have to be done exactly my way. In healthcare, it has to be done uh, safely, absolutely. We will never let that go. But being more comfortable, and it's a process, and it's a process of developing ourselves getting help to develop ourselves because we've moved from this place of being unconsciously competent to consciously incompetent. And I don't mean that we are in, I'm just saying, you know, you're new at this. You're new at this. You know, you've got to learn the new systems. I came here to the Naval Academy. I've been, uh, been back for four months now. I had to learn an entirely new learning management system. I was given an entirely new syllabus I'd never taught before. And I found, found myself in this place of, oh my gosh, what am I doing? Yeah. Cause I have heard those, you know, conscious and competent and those, the four in that arena. I love the way that we're leaving that unconsciously competent, do it in my sleep. Everyone loves me to, oh, cred, I have no markers on this new new environment. And I would say it's not that you have no markers on it. You're going to have to develop different markers. So don't feel that that expertise that you had is no longer relevant and that you are absolutely new. You are being developed in a new way. And it's natural and normal to feel like, oh, my gosh, I don't really know what I'm doing here. So write it down. Write it down. Excellent. Well, we are going to conclude this episode so that my editor doesn't continue to get mad at me and look forward to welcoming you back, Dr. Bell, uh, very soon for our next episode. Thanks for being with us today. Absolutely. Thank you, Carl. Thank you for listening to today's episode. We hope that you found it valuable for the work that you do. If you did, please do us a favor of leaving a review on your preferred podcast platform. Your feedback is vital in helping us enhance our content and reach more listeners like you. Furthermore, if you know someone who could benefit from this episode, please share the link with them. And if you have any questions or comments, please don't hesitate to reach out to us on LinkedIn or through our website at coachinggroupinc.com. Thank you again for listening. Until we meet again, keep learning and leading with excellence.